welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hello and welcome back to Sage and Spirit. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Patricia Kiritsi Howell, who is the author of Medicinal Plants of the Southern Appalachians, and she is also the founder and director of the Botanologos School of Herbal Studies, located in the mountains of Northeast Georgia. Patricia is an amazing herbalist, and after 28 years practicing as a clinical herbalist, she recently closed her practice to devote more time to teaching and mentoring student practitioners. She is the admissions coordinator for the American Herbalist Guild and co-chair of their symposium committee. I actually got to meet Patricia and began working with her a few years ago when I was doing some work at the time with the American Herbalist Guild as well. And Patricia is just such an amazing person. She really is coming from a place um, of grounding and has so much good information to share. In today's episode, we are talking about two wild and wonderful weeds for women in particular. And these two plants are motherwort and mugwort. We talk a little bit about the different phases of a woman's life that each of these plants tends to be very supportive during, and also how working with plants and forming relationships with them can really be grounding and also awakening for us on many different levels. I really enjoyed talking to Patricia today, and she really just has so much to share about these two plants, um, and also a lot about these plants that I've never heard before. So I really hope that you enjoy listening to her and learning about motherwort and mugwort. Hey, Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Anna Claire. I'm so excited about your new project and honored to be part of it. Oh, well, it's it's such an honor to have you here. I'm so grateful. Um, and I'm really excited about the topic that we're talking about today as well. Two very beautiful, very accessible plants, motherwort and mugwort. And I'd love to dive right in and ask you a little bit about how you came to be interested in these plants and in this path. Sure. Well, I mean, to, in order to answer that question, I have to just kind of tell you a little bit about my path to becoming an herbalist, because they're definitely very intertwined. Um, when I first experienced um, herbs in a therapeutic context, you know, where I really used them to address a health issue that I had, uh, I was living in Berkeley, California, um, which there's no shortage of hippies and herbs out there. Um, but I was actually working in the music business at the time. I was I used to organize, um, produce large outdoor events um, uh, and had a background in sound and, um, uh, you know, all the technical aspects of 
outdoor music venues. So it was a pretty different world that I was living in at that time. Um, and um, I went to see an herbalist, uh, reflexologist in, in Berkeley. And uh, at the time, really, I had severe, severe PMS symptoms for most of my 20s, I would say, where I really just um, once a month, I would feel like I was out of commission completely for several days just due to, you know, painful cramps. But really what was more devastating to me was um, kind of the things, and I think women understand this when I talk about it, is like just sort of feeling crazy for for a week or so premenstrually um, where my um, mood changed. Um, I felt um, really uh, like, you know, frustrated with my life, like I didn't like it. I, you know, everything about it wasn't working for me. Uh, it was almost like um, uh, I could see everything crystal clear and um, but didn't feel empowered to do anything about it at the time. And then what I noticed would happen is that I would go through this period of really feeling like uh, what I would describe my inner truth speaker had the microphone, right? Who was really um, saying, you know, you, this, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing for one thing, you know, and, you know, just <clears throat> kind of egging me on nothing mean, but definitely provocative. Right. And so um but then as soon as my period was over, all that would fade away and I would just go back to what I was doing. Um, so it was almost like I was getting a message that I, I was getting a phone call that I wasn't responding to. And so the phone calls got more frequent and more severe. Um, so I used to make jokes like, you know, someone should just chain me in the basement once a month for a few days, you know, because of how volatile I felt and uh, unhappy. Um, so Anyway, I went to this herbalist and she made some suggestions. I think she suggested Vitex and some uh, with Chaseberry uh, just as sort of a tonic herb to regulate my periods. And then she also introduced me to some nervines and one of them was uh, mugwort. And, um, you know, at that point in my life, the only herb I really knew was, you know, I knew something about chamomile and some other real generic herbs, but the taste of mugwort really intrigued me. It was such an unusual combination of, uh, you know, some spiciness, some bitterness, uh, sort of an aromatic quality to it. Um, I really resonated with it. The first time I made some tea with mugwort, even though its flavor is pretty strong, um, it was like on a cellular level, I responded to that. And so I began to, you know, you know, have a relationship with a plant for the first time, to be honest, where I really drank the herb with consciousness and experienced what that felt like physically and emotionally for me. And it was pretty profound. <laughs> um, and so you know, that I would say that mugwort was kind of the hook that like got me interested in like what else can herbs do, right? Because it was so, um, you know, I, I just on every level, I felt it. And I didn't know that was a possible thing that you could have with a plant to feel that way. Um, so that was, that was kind of how mugwort came on the scene for me. 
It's like you had an aha moment. And I feel like that happens a lot of times with people as they're sort of stepping into the world of herbs or working with different plants to support their bodies. They have, you know, one plant or one particular moment where something kind of snaps into place. And, and I know when that happened for me, I just wanted to keep digging and explore more and more. And that passion hasn't left me, which is why I'm here today. So, um, I love that. And, you know, I think a lot of people can also relate to that feeling of a week or two ahead of their cycles, just feeling completely different, like a totally different person. You know, sometimes it'll sneak up on me and I'll be like, what is going on? What's wrong with me? You know, I start questioning what, you know, my, my mental state or my behavior, or, you know, is this person really annoying me all the time? And then it'll click into place. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. So I'm four days out. And that's why I feel like a crazy person. But, you know, even though it's a really common thing, maybe it's not necessarily what's best or normal for our bodies to feel that way. And so finding different ways that we can work with that and different plants feels really empowering and amazing. And so I'm really interested to hear more of your journey and kind of where this took you. And so you said this started, you started to discover these plants in your twenties. Is that right? Yeah. In my, you know, like I was around actually right around my Saturn return, to be honest, you know, 28, 29, right. Which um, for anyone listening, who's not aware of that idea. Um, and I don't know if you've talked much about astrology or anything um, in any of your other podcasts, but um, you know, there's a, in us, in a, in a, astrological understanding there's a belief that like right around when you're about 28 or 29 saturn returns to its natal position in your chart and that at that time for a lot of people it's when they get kind of shaken loose from anything that they're doing that they're not supposed to be doing so there's an idea that like when you're around 18 or 19 and usually that's when people leave home or they begin to more physically individuate from their families of origin that then around when you're we're around 28 you sort of have a course adjustment it's like mm-hmm. something's going to happen sometimes very dramatically that um, jolts you into a new stage in your life and it's a lot about letting go of those beliefs that you were brought up with and claiming your own I mean that's would be kind of a classical I think uh, astrological interpretation and that's about the time that this whole thing happened for me that right I, so I, and I know during that time too it can be you know when your life changes course that can bring up a lot for a lot of people so if you're kind of tacking that on to you know heavy you know like severe PMS symptoms and and having those feelings anyway, that, that sounds like it could feel pretty intense in the moment. Yeah. You got the picture right there. Right. (laughs) Intense, maybe a good word for that. that, We'll we'll just label that intense, but you know, what I found um, with mugwort in my own personal um, experience is, you know, first of all, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's an artemisia. And so artemisias as a genus of plants are um, associated with the moon goddess Artemis. And that has a lot to do with their coloring that they all sort of have this silver gray foliage that is kind of what you would see if you went out into a garden on a full moon, you know, the, the color of plants. And, um, and so it has sort of that lunar quality 
you know, that people have picked up on for a long time. I believe, and that's why, you know, that whole uh, genera have that name of uh, Artemisia. And I do think that of all of them, mugwort is the strongest in terms of that it has that association with lunar rhythms. And what I noticed as I was beginning to use mugwort myself in a conscious way is that it increased my ability to um, uh, access my intuition and my um, understanding of, you know, my voice. Um, and also, I think that there's a visionary aspect to mugwort that it it um, it, ha it has a long association of, of working with dreams and being something that people notice when they use mugwort on a regular basis, that their dreams become more vivid or that they get more information through their dreams in terms of guidance or insight. And that's exactly what happened for me is that using mugwort, um, it kind of allowed me to envision um, not uh, what I thought I could do, but like, what did I, what was my dream? What did I want? Right. And I grew up in a very um, <clears throat> working class family in the Midwest. I went to all Catholic school. Um, so I didn't really grow up in a very creative environment. You know, it was very uh, much about get a job and um, hope for the best, you know, was kind of the philosophy. Um, so I think that one of the things that happened to me working with mugwort, paying more attention to my dreams, uh, was that I began to say, what is my dream? You know, what, what, what do I, what's my vision for myself? You know, what, where do I want my life to go? And, you know, even though it, it was initiated by that hormonal issue of the, of the menstrual irregularity, not so much irregularities, but just, you know, the whole spectrum of premenstrual issues, um, it was tied very much to the a bigger issue of my life purpose. Um, and I feel, you know, really clear that that was what, um, what the herb was helping me with is to envision something. Um, even if I didn't know how to get there, like if, even how, if I didn't know what to do, um, that that was going to be possible. Um, and so, you know, for me, it helped me a lot with my discomfort. Um, you know, things got substantially better for me in the next year or two. But then when I, um, shortly after that is when I, uh, I went and took a weekend class with David Hoffman. He was teaching a class in San Francisco. I already had his book, The Holistic Herbal, and had worn it out, you know, looking at it. Um, and um, I went to this weekend that he did and he said that he was uh, teaching at the California School of Herbal Studies. They were just about to start an herb program that was gonna last a year, it was full time. Um, and they had some openings. And I literally went home uh, to my apartment, uh, started telling people I was looking for a sublet, took all my savings and moved up to Forestville, California and started school. Just, that was it. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was like, you know, that's how it happened for me is like, just, you know, that feeling of like, what's what, you know, what's your life purpose? You know, you're not, you know, what, where do you want to go with all this? You know, do you want you want to direct it? Or do you want to just be someone who, you know, does their job and goes home every night?
right? Right. So, and you know, California can have that effect on people, especially if you're a Midwesterner. Sure. <laughs> Whoa, what's going on out here? You know, so we're talking, you know, like 1988, 89. This is when, you know, I, I went to the herb school um, there and started doing all that. But then after that is when I started practicing, you know, mm -hmm. as an herbalist, did some more studies in Chicago. Um, but, um, then tried to integrate what I had experienced with mugwort into my practice. And because I'd had such a strong experience with resolving my own PMS issues, when I first started practicing, that was kind of how I presented myself as someone who could offer support to women who had menstrual issues that were really interfering with their quality of life and who hadn't been able to get any help. Mm -hmm. And so a large part of my practice, um, was women who were dealing with exactly what I had been de dealing with. <clears throat> and that was, you know, a very safe place for me to work for a number of years because um, I had an authentic experience of what was possible and I could offer women hope that, um, for example, here's, here's one of the women I worked with initially. Um, she actually came to me as a referral from her chiropractor who um, she had been in a car accident with severe whiplash and she'd been given a prescription by her medical doctor for a muscle relaxant and some pain remedies. And she didn't like the way they felt, but she had a lot of issues with her neck and shoulders. So she came to me to see if there was anything herbally that, that could replace those medications that she didn't like. And in doing an intake with her, she told me just kind of a horrific thing about what was normal for her, which was that every month um, as the onset of her menstrual flow began, she would, um, you know, have all these mood changes, have migraine headaches, uh, you know, lots of GI upset, you know, really problems with digestion. And then it would all kind of culminate to this point where she would be have such severe headaches and dizziness that what she would do is go in the bathroom, she would put camping pads around the toilet and she would kneel there. And at one point she would start vomiting and then she would vomit and pass out. And after she passed out and woke up, the headache would be gone and she would feel fine. And her period would have started. And she had been to many gynecological consultants over the years who had given her things uh, like narcotics, essentially, and, and told her to be on the birth control pill. Um, and none of that really helped her much at all. So, you know, she came to me thinking, there's nothing that can be done for this. So why even bring it up? You know, I've been to doctors. So even though we worked on the muscle issues that she was experiencing that were acute, I, um, I said to her, you know, are you interested in trying herbs for the menstrual thing that goes on with you? Because this is pretty intense, you know, to get to that point. Right. Um, and she was interested. And so we began working together and mugwort was one of the herbs that I used with her along with, um, I think we used blue vervain and we used vitex um, and then some remedies for the migraine headaches you know, that she could use in the moment. But really we, we did a lot of work with mugwort uh, together. And within three months, it stopped happening. And um, so that was like in the early nineties. 
And it was really great because, I mean, I was a new practitioner and that was a, you know, that was a big challenge. It was like, is this going to work? You know, I have this theory, but here's this person and I really wanted to help her. You know, it was, it was, I had such compassion for what she was dealing with and how she had sort of learned to cope with it and, and her feeling of hopelessness. Right. Right. Um, but at about 10 years after we worked together, um, I got an email from her one day and she said, you know, I just came across you on a, while I was on the internet. And I just wanted to tell you that, you know, that changed my life. And, you know, I don't say that like as a credit to myself, but that, you know, my allies, the herbal allies that helped me were also available to help her. And, um, uh, it, it really just did my heart good to hear her say that. Um, Wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, talk about an intense experience and and potentially dangerous. I mean, you know, the fact that she had to line her her bathroom walls with the camp pads and everything and knew she was going to pass out and that after all of that, she would find maybe some relief. Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of people, they come to this place where they've tried what they think are all the things, right? And then, you know, they're still not working. And so they, they find ways to adapt, which can maybe be helpful in some instances, but what a beautiful option to have to work with someone. And and how interesting too, that she came to you for something completely different, um, but had this pretty debilitating common occurrence in her life that she was also able to find a lot of support with. And I, I just think that's really beautiful. And I love too, what you were mentioning about mugwort being a plant of the moon and its relation um, with Artemis and kind of the archetype that, that plays into that picture there. It's really beautiful. So would you, would you say that mugwort is mostly, I know we talked about um, when we were setting this up that these plants can be used for different phases in a woman's life. So would you say that mugwort you use primarily for women during their um, sort of mother or menstruating phases of life or um, yeah, how do you work with it in that way? Or what would you consider to be the different phases that you work with these plants? Well, I think it, I think I, I would, I would classify motherwort, mugwort, excuse me, as um an herb that helps uh, you dream what is possible and that it's especially indicated for women at the early period when they're uh, deciding what they're going to create in their lives. So whether that be that they're going to have children, they're going to be, you know, do their work in the world, that it, um, it helps them um, get a, have a vision and then be able to move towards it to see what's possible. So a lot of times what I've noticed, you know, that when women are uh, dealing with menstrual issues that, you know, a lot of irregularity or maybe even amenorrhea where they're not menstruating at all, that there's a certain level of constraint going on in their personal lives where they're not where they think they should be or doing what they think they should do be doing, but they're not dealing with it. They're just kind of squashing it down. And what I think happens during that PMS phase is that that inner truth speaker just says, you are, you have got to listen to me. So one of the things that I have done with um, a lot of the women I've worked with is um, have them uh, keep a journal during that period of time where they really just 
unsent without any censorship, just wrote whatever, like, you know, <clears throat> I hate him. He's a, he's an asshole. <laughs> he never does what he said, you know, whatever that is, they just like put it all down there in all its, you know, uncensored, ugly. Ugh. Um, and then afterward <laughs> that, that, you know, what I call ax murder syndrome passes, um, they can go back to that and then say, okay, what in here do I really need to deal with? Like, what in here can I do to make some changes? You know, because I have to take this part of me seriously. I can't just dismiss it as hormonal imbalance. And, and then I think mugwort helps them begin to see the path of how they want to resolve those issues. Um, so I find it really effective for women in their 20s and 30s. Um, and then, then there starts to be a change, you know, as we age and we get into our 40s. Um, you know, for a lot of women, if they were thinking of having children, they've either done it or they're not going to do it, you know. So that, that makes a very big change in consciousness where, um, you know, the things that we're putting our attention and energy into often have to do with our work in the world or what our contribution is. And then that's where I think we make the transition naturally to working with motherwort. And although motherwort has, um, so we're talking about Leonora's cardiaca, but um, it, it traditionally has um, been used for things like hot flashes and menopausal, um, you know, mood swings and, you know, that euphemism, mood swings. I love that. Um, you know, you better watch out because that mood is swinging. And you, you never go, know which way. <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, although it has a history in that context, um, as I moved into my 40s and began to experience perimenopausal symptoms um, and also just moved into a different stage of my life, you know, you and I were talking earlier about now you're an adult, you know, it's like you own a home or you have your works established. You're not thinking, what do I want to be when I grow up anymore? You've like answered that question for yourself and now you're working on it. You know, you're doing it. Um, and so I think mother wart um, helps make the transition from what is possible, like anything is possible, what's my dream, to being focused on the dream and, um, and making it your own. So owning that thing. And, you know, for, and this just has more to do with my worldview, um, is that, I mean, I think, and I'm not speaking for the whole world, but for myself, that, um, that uh, you know, my, my purpose uh, I'm, I'm thinking of that a lot. I'm thinking like, you know, when, when I'm gone, what did I do to make the world a better place? What did I do to, what's my contribution to the, the history of humanity, right? Um, so I'm very conscious of that in, in my work um, and in my life of wanting, not like necessarily like that I want to be Mick Jagger, or, you know, do something that has to do with fame and fortune, um, which obviously is not something you should, you should, um, if that's your goal, herbalism is probably not the path <laughs> to take. Yes, <Right>. <laughs> to anybody listening out there. Um, but, um, but it is uh, meaningful, satisfying, uh, heartwarming, challenging, all of those things. And, um, 
you know, so when I was in my early 40s, I really began to think more about that. It's like, what am I contributing to the, you know, to the world in general, and then in, in, in particular to herbalism, because I really see herbalism as a very living thing. Um, it's art. It's There's a little bit of science involved, but it's mainly art, and everybody who works with herbs and uses them for themselves or other people adds to our combined knowledge to of, of what's possible with herbs. So, I, I mean, I always tell my students, you know, you're, you know, imagine standing behind you right now, this is when we met in person, <laughs> um, like, you know, your grandmother, your great grandmother, you know, there, there are people in your lineage who saved lives with herbs, or you wouldn't be here, that they knew enough about herbs to stimulate contractions in labor or break a fever or treat a wound. And there's no one who doesn't have that somewhere in their ancestry. Um, and, you know, you can look forward into the future and there are, you know, whether they're your children or people that you influence in your life, you're sending that into the future. And so what do you, what's your contribution? What is it that you're doing that um, is going to add to our understanding of the magic of herbalism, really? Um, yeah. so I got... I got up on my soapbox there. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. I, I want to um, rewind for a second back to what you were saying about mugwort and how it helps you to, um, to kind of visualize what you want to create. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about that sort of metaphorically also with the womb space being this space of creation and how those two have this sort of interplay at at this point in a woman's life where she's dreaming into being what her world will consist of and what that will look like and then um, I love how you're saying that can just kind of naturally segue into once that has been established or has started to to take form that then mother work can come in and help to really um, you know make that more concrete and and to bring further life to that, to that vision that has, has been conjured essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would say that the, what the mother work does is it helps you claim your vision and then activate it. Mm. Right. To mm -hmm. really, and, and I think of that in the con, I mean, I love the name Leonora Cardiaca, you know, that it really just translates to lion heart mm -hmm. because I, I think that um, mugwort, I mean, motherwort, I always do this as I get going about talking about these two warts. They're so is, close. <laughs> um, is that it, um, it hooks you up with your heart's desire to do something. So with the mugwort, we're talking about a more intuitive, subconscious, visionary. And here there's something, with motherwort, there's something more fierce um, and lion-like, you know, like, um, uh, you know, willing to fight for something you believe in and defend your stance. Um, so it's, um, it's less receptive so that would be another way we could think about mugwort is more receptive. It's like, I'm looking for guidance. Let me be shown the way. And then mo motherwort is like, this is what I'm doing and don't try to mess with me, right? This is, this is it for me. And, um, and again, you know, in my own path and then in working with other women as they move 
towards um, menopause through that whole range that can be like up to 10 years for some women that that transition occurs. Um, it has, it's a really a process, I think, of claiming your inner wisdom. So, you know, what, what, is, what do you know? What, what, what's your authentic self know? And, um, and speaking from that point. You know, so you have more of an orientation, you know, you, you have your heart center. And um, I think that as we age, I'm, I'm just about to be 66. So, you know, I'm, you know, ha have this very sobering moment. Um, a couple of them actually last year when the whole pandemic broke out and, um, you know, they were talking about the risks to the elderly and the this and the elderly need to be careful. And then I realized they were talking about people my age and I was like what oh my god am I elderly you know <laughs> it was like a real shift in my self uh image to to think of myself in that context um but I do think people you know are aging differently these days than they they used to in some ways um anyway <clears throat> when I started really kind of seeing myself as someone who has a certain, and I, you know, I think this is, I'm, I'm making it about myself, but I think it's generally true. Um, when women get into their late fifties and sixties, and usually at the point then when they, they no longer are having that, that menstrual rhythm that kind of uh, sets the tone for their lives, um, then their orientation has to be more self-directed and based on their life experience. So then at that point, you know, that's when we really become wise women, you know, where, you know, we've seen some things come down, you know, we've dealt with whatever we've dealt with in our lives. And um, we're no longer, um, I mean, not that we're not questioning anything. I mean, life is, you know, I mean, a year ago, who would have thought, right? So, you know, we never know what the road ahead has. But I think as you move into that phase of your life, you have a certain amount of accumulated life experience that you can draw from and you don't feel as not, you don't feel the need to like look to other people for you know like what should I be doing, um, and then you know that change from um, being someone who is trying to make their mark in the world or trying to accomplish something to someone who you know is now um, an authority figure on whatever the area is that they've had their life experience, and so. For some, for me personally, it has meant not um, not striving so hard to prove anything, right? To just this is it. This is you know I'm not going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. That's okay. I'm okay. No MacArthur Grant for me. Nope, that's not going to happen. Probably never going to go to China, which is always something I thought I'd. You know, there's things that you kind of let go of. But, in, and then you also have this sense of, you know, I do a lot of mentoring with herbalists um, who are starting their practices. In fact, uh, I closed my own practice um, in uh, summer of 2019 because <clears throat> I really wanted to shift my energy towards supporting herbalists who were getting their practices going because I felt like when people went to herb school and then they got out of herb school and they were like loaded with all this herbal information and they really wanted to help people and you know they're raring to go and then how do they get from here to there right 
So um, the last couple of years, I've really devoted a fair amount of my time to doing one-to-one -one mentoring with people who are at that transition phase. And it's been really, really satisfying. But one of the things about it I realize is that almost everything they bring to me as challenges, as herbalists, um, I've encountered some form of that before. So I think that's part of what I'm describing about as you age, um, you it doesn't mean you're not surprised by life, but it means that you have some sort of inner knowing that crystallizes in some way. And I think that motherwort uh, focuses a lot of the energy around the heart and more in the sense of the chakra or the shen in TCM. Um, so that that sort of animating part of you that is, um, uh, you know, the projection of your true self, that, that motherwort really uh, nourishes that and makes it strong. But the other thing, did you want to ask me a question or can I keep going? No, keep going, please. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that I noticed, uh, that I noticed about working with motherwort, <clears throat> and I've used it in this context a lot with women and with men, although, you know, to be honest, and I think this is true for a lot of herbalists, we don't see as many men in our practices as we do women. Um, but um, I think it helps bring up experience and resolve sorrow that hasn't been properly dealt with. So almost like you would think about um, a hepatic herb would like detoxify the liver and, you know, help clean the liver to some degree. I think that motherwort does that on the level of uh, processing loss that is you know, by the time you're reaching your 50s and your 60s, it's inevitable that you've experienced, you know, sorrow uh, in different forms for different reasons. And that holding on to that or um, uh, sort of like stuffing that in some way and not really experiencing it <clears throat> um, can really uh, become toxic, uh, you know, physically and spiritually for people. Um, and I remember the first time that I really <clears throat> saw this um, in someone besides myself. Um, um, I was living in Illinois. I was living out in the country. There was a lot of motherwort growing everywhere. And I had a roommate who was not very herbal or holistic in any way, um, but she was never home and she paid her share of the rent. So it was the perfect roommate. Um, and so... Um, I uh, was telling her about motherwort. And um, so she was like, oh, I want to try it. So um, every morning I would make a pot of motherwort tea and we would both drink a cup of tea. And uh, after a couple of, maybe a week or so, she said to me, you know, this really weird thing happened the other day. And I, I don't really know how to explain this. And she said, when I was young, I had this dog who died. And um, when that dog died, it was like, I, I, my parents told me the dog died, but they, I never saw it again. And it just was like gone one day. And um, I just remember that it was, no one wanted to talk about the dog and it was really horrible um, that I had to like deal with that on my own. There was no, you know, we didn't do a little burial ceremony. We, no one ever talked about the dog. And she said, after drinking that tea, all of a sudden I just, it was almost like it had just happened. And she said, I, I, I cried the whole way to work. 
And, um, you know, that night when I got home, I just still felt that that dog and how horrible and devastating it was. And she said, the next morning I woke up and I thought about the dog and it was, I was calm about it and I felt sad, but it was almost like something had been purged, like it bubbled up. I experienced it and then it was gone. And so I've used motherwort in that way as well for people who have um, regrets or um, losses that they've never really let themselves experience. And, and I often warn people when they start using motherwort, even if they're taking it for something like hot flashes or uh, as a nerving relaxant for the heart, is that um, you need to make sure that you either have someone you can talk to or a journal or a counselor that you can um, discuss with anything that comes up because this will bring up issues that just need your need closure, really. Um, so... Wow, that's a really beautiful story. And I, I've worked with motherwort a lot, but I've never, I've never really worked with motherwort in that way. And I, I haven't really considered it for that. I've, I've often thought of it more as for the physical heart, for heart palpitations and that sort of thing. Um, and that can also accompany hot flashes. I've worked with motherwort um, and some menopausal clients of mine. And, um, but as you said, the things that, we that happen to us or that occur in our lives that have take some sort of emotional toll or maybe that we stuff down and don't even realize are there they do at some point have a physical manifestation and that's something that is very closely intertwined in our bodies and as holistic practitioners we know that these are things that that need to be addressed as well in order for the the full picture of health to be something that is maybe more attainable and um, I think that's a really good sort of disclaimer too, to, to know that, that these herbs and plants can bring up a lot when we work with them, even if it's something that, is, that we think is completely unrelated to what we're experiencing on a physical level. And I know um, just to briefly mention a different herb that I've worked with, Hawthorne, a lot of people mm. talk about for being very... Um, affiliated with the heart. And I remember the first couple of times in herb school that I tried Hawthorne and I was like, I don't know what it is about this tincture, but every time I take it, I want to cry. And uh -huh. I couldn't figure that out. Cause I was like, Oh, everybody says it's heart opening. And I was expecting it to be this like blissful experience, <laughs> but turns out it was bringing up some sort of sorrow or grief or emotion within me that I feel like I hadn't processed. And so it was a uh -huh. similar, it kind yeah. of was reminding me of that where I would take Hawthorne and I would feel like I just needed to sit and cry for a while. And sometimes we feel like maybe we need permission to do that, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and it took me a minute to get there with it, to really be like, yeah. okay, well, I'm just going to take this. I'm going to sit here and cry. And I don't know why, but it's just going to happen. Apparently it needs to. So, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting that, that plants can really affect us in so many different levels. Um, and so I, I also want to talk about these these two plants, mugwort and motherwort. And I'd love to hear some of your favorite ways of working with them. I know you've mentioned a couple of times now tea and um, it it's definitely both of these plants tend to be a bit on the bitter side. Right. So it's funny because I have a friend who recently wanted to 
learn more about, about herbs and working with different plants. And I told her about nourishing herbal infusions because she wanted to work with nettle. And so this is, you know, as we know, a really long infusion process where the, the plant material sits in the water for at least four hours. And again, I was just talking about nettle and then she ended up messaging me and she said, yeah, I did that thing with mugwort. And I went to take a sip of it, but it was really intense and super bitter. And I'm not so sure about this. And I was like, oh yeah, no, like you don't want to steep mugwort for four hours or longer because it brings out so many of those constituents that can really be intense in our bodies, not right. even just the taste. Um, so, and yeah, I'd love to, I've, I've had some people who have been really averse to the taste of motherwort as a tea, just because I think that in our society, we're not so used to the bitter flavors quite as right. much. And that's kind of something that I think a lot of us herbalists are trying to shift the perspective of by bringing bitters, bitter plants back into our daily lives. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear about some of your favorite ways to work with these two plants in particular. Sure. Um, well, uh, you know, you did touch on something that's really important that has to do with both of these plants, which is the bitter principle. You know, they both have, you know, a lot of bitterness in their flavors, also a lot of aromatic qualities, you know, especially if you make them into a cold infusion, you get more of that, the volatile oils stay intact. But those are cases with a, with a cold infusion, then you have to like let it steep for longer, you know, like what you were describing, maybe four hours. But it's very different with cold water than with hot water, where you, you lose a lot of that, those like delicate oils and just kind of the really harsh bitter things are what remain at that point. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the bitter flavor um, stimulates the liver and the heart. And it also, you know, gets things moving. And so, you know, both of these herbs uh, energetically are catalysts for movement. And when you taste bitterness, it, it activates, you know, all these receptors throughout your body. Uh, it, it gets your immune system going. David Hoffman used to say, when you taste something bitter on the, in your mouth, everything that squirts, squirts, right? So it's like your body does all these secretions. And so it it has a very um, energizing impact, even though both herbs have some calming effect, but I think the bitterness disperses nervous tension. It, it, it releases that and the, and the after effect of that is to feel calmer because you're not holding on to things anymore, you're letting them loose. Um, so, I mean, I love using them as teas, um, but, um, you know, as, and make both of them as infusions. I often make them cold and let them steep for two or three hours. Um, and there are people, especially people who are really new to herbalism, you know, where that flavor, like you just described, is just something they cannot deal with. Um, and if that's the case, then I would think about things like uh, dream pillows, you know, especially with mugwort. Um, making that into uh, dried herbs stuffed into some cloth packet that they, um, you know, keep on under their, under their pillow or, you know, under the pillowcase so they can smell the herb when they're moving around in the night. Um, I also, um, it can be burned like a um, incense, you know, so if you have a charcoal, um, you know, one of those little charcoal discs, you can put dried mugwort on that and just, uh, in, you know, inhale that fragrance um, the, the, the smoke from it. Um, I also think it's really effective in baths. 
So making a very strong uh, infusion that you do make kind of like you described doing the nettles um, and then straining it into a bath and getting into the bath. And, and that's where ritual bathing comes in. Um, so doing, uh, you know, not a bath where you're soap and water and you're cleaning everything, but where you're clearing energy um, with both, both mugwort and motherwort. I find that that works effectively. And I think it, you know, for the energetic shifts that we're looking at here, it does work in that way. Um, but it can also be a tincture that's part of a formula. So I might often do both. I might give someone a formula that had like some Vitex, some dandelion root. Actually, Vitex, dandelion, and mugwort are like the three herbs that I always use for um, women with any kind of menstrual issues because I think it addresses the endocrine system with the Vitex, uh, the chase barrier, known as both things. Um, the dandelion uh, supports the liver and um, healthy elimination, which is sometimes an issue with menstrual irregularities. And then the mugwort uh, as a nerving and a bitter that you know, opens up the vision. Um, so I would probably be using it both ways as an internal tincture and then as external, uh, as a bath or uh, an incense or something in the bed. Um, you know, also you, you may know and your listeners may know that you know, moxa sticks that are used in traditional Chinese medicine are actually mugwort. They're, they're powdered mugwort that's rolled into a, a, a cylinder that can be burned. And then those, uh, the ends of that moxa stick are used to stimulate different uh, points on the meridians. So um, there's also, and I'm forgetting right now what the point, oh, I know, there's a point on the foot that's um, in between the tendon that goes to the big toe and the tendon that goes to the little toe. I mean, the next toe over on the foot. So those are usually pretty pronounced and they sort of come together at the arch of the foot. So we're talking about the top of the foot and there's a point in there that is, um, I think it's a liver point that if you push on it, usually when someone's in these PMS stages, it'll be really uh, like, there's almost like a knot there. Um, mm. And working that knot will sometimes help relieve menstrual cramps. And that's also a point to use moxa on. Sorry, I should have checked, reminded myself exactly what point that was. Um, but that, that can really, really help with the acute aspect of menstrual discomfort. And that would be a place where you could use moxa as well. And just oh, wow. pressure. Um, Thank you so much for that. I, um, I've heard of moxa and I've used moxa and I actually know I have a friend who swears by moxa every month for her cycle. She, uh -huh. um, if she doesn't have moxa or can't get access to it, you know, she starts to like think of all the other things that she might have access to because it, it's been really helpful for her just um, in facilitating that movement. And I know that in Chinese medicine, I've heard that stagnation is sort of the root of all dis-ease or pain or discomfort is when our blood or our chi or energy or, or whatever the case may be, it gets stagnant or it doesn't flow in unrestricted ways. And so um, I know that I, I've 
met a number of people who work with moxa in this way where it can be burned over either particular uh, meridians or acupuncture points, acupressure points. Um, and also my friend just uses it kind of directly over her womb space when she's uh -huh. feeling really crampy and just kind of feels like there's congestion that needs to be moved in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, that, that stagnation um, is usually due to coldness in the womb. You know, that's, you know, what a, one of the ways that we can think about that, which is why something like a hot water bottle feels so good or hot mm. bath or drinking some ginger tea, because all of those things warm that and circulate the, the pelvic chi and that brings release. And that's what bitters do in general. They relieve constraint. Right. So whether that's blood that needs to be, you know, the endometrial lining that needs to be released uh, from the uterus or whether it's um, being able to have frequent bowel movements or good digestion or be able to relax into sound sleep. So it's all about letting go, which is also part of what, just to be a tangential for a minute, dandelion root also, I think mm. is, is a good companion uh, because it works a little more on the physical level and mugwort works a little more on the energetic level. So they're really good partners in that process. Mm, I love that. And I tend to think of mugwort without getting in, into a whole other topic of energetics, but I tend to think of mugwort as being very warming. Um, whereas motherwort, um, I tend to think as being more cooling and it's that cooling bitter property. And so they kind of have these um, opposite natures, yet they end up working in very similar ways by, by you know, um, initiating this movement or flow. Would, exactly. would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I would. Um, and I want to just say a little bit about motherwort then, because with motherwort, though, <clears throat> um, I really, really try to get people to drink it as tea because I think it's most effective in that way. Um, uh, you know, it can also be used in baths. Um, but also, I sometimes do like a 50-50 motherwort and black cohosh tincture and have women use it almost like rescue remedy, something that they carry with them. And whenever they feel like they're losing it, they take some of that. Um, and the bitterness also, um, I think, uh, kind of wakes up the brain a little bit so that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times when women are moving into menopause or that through that stage of life, they often report that they have brain fog or that they feel like their mental acuity is affected. And I think that that combination really helps um, because of the bitterness as well. Um, and so working with it in that way, you're saying almost similar to Rescue Remedy, which is a, a blend of flower essences. So would you work with it more on a physical level as far as your dosage in that case? Or would you just do a couple of drops like you would a flower essence? No, I would use it like a like a tincture, I would, you know, be doing like uh, 60 drops, you know, okay. um, and, and, you know, sort of let, um, let the person um, notice what happens and how long it is in effect, you know, so it's very much an acute remedy that can be used as needed. So sometimes women will find that they need to take a dose every 15 minutes to calm down, <laughs> to get it together. And then sometimes they just find themselves, you know, going, oh, I, I forgot to take that today, but let me take a little bit of it right now. Um, so with motherwort, um, it's a little more, um, 
prescribed, I would say. Um, yeah, I'm not, and I'm not sure why, but I, but that's definitely how it's kind of played out. Yeah, it's interesting. I, in this, um, the home that I'm living in now, I realized when we first moved in last spring that there was mugwort everywhere and mugwort tends to be very weedy, right? It, it kind of grows and takes over. And, um, especially I find it like along kind of like in the borderlands, like on fence edges and like at the edge of different, you know, the edge of the garden and that sort of thing. And so I was thinking of all different ways that I could work with it. And I made a tincture of it. And I, while I was kind of waiting on that, I had somebody else who really wanted to work with mugwort. And I asked another herbalist, a local herbalist, if they had any mugwort tincture that I could get from them in the meantime, while mine was processing. And they were like, well, I don't ever really work with mugwort as a tincture. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And turns out it was actually kind of hard to find mugwort tincture, surprisingly enough. Huh. And so um, I just, I love that there's all these different ways that, you know, like you mentioned the ritual bathing that we can bathe with the plants and they can affect us, you know, maybe on a different level in that way. And then working with them as a tea or as a tincture and a blend as an incense or smoke in that regard too. Um, just so many beautiful ways that we can incorporate them into our lives. And especially, you know, maybe if someone is just starting out and they do have a taste aversion that they can kind of ease their way in maybe with right. some of these different uh, modalities of working with the different plants. So I really appreciate that about them. And, um, and thank you too, because I don't know why I hadn't thought to bathe with mugwort yet, but now that's really high up on my list of things to do. So <laughs> Yes. I look forward to hearing how that how that affects you. And and actually just having this conversation with you makes me um, want to sort of pull out my motherboard again and um, and kind of re reweave it back into things. Um, because I do think that the other thing I, I think I didn't really say about motherboard is that, you know, as you get older, there are certain things that you have to let go of that, you know you're not going to do. Like I said, I'm not getting a MacArthur grant. Um, I'm probably never going to have my art in an exhibit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like at some point you just sort of say, okay, you have to be okay with those things with, you know, that shift. And, and so that feeling of letting go and accepting loss as just part of life, mm -hmm. I think other word helps. And so drinking the tea and, um, in a ritual way where you're saying to yourself, this is bitter, it's not what I would choose, but I know it's gonna help me, you know, is also resonates with life experiences, right? Something's right. happening that you don't really like, it's painful, but you don't turn away or, you know, try to self-medicate so that you don't experience that. So part of drinking motherwort tea could be, you know, uh, like an act of acceptance. Mm -hmm. so. and, and almost like a rite of passage in its own way. I think that's something that our modern society and culture um, doesn't necessarily do as often or as well as maybe some of our older cultures or indigenous cultures is these, these rites of passage and these rituals that sort of help us from one stage of life into the next. And so to have the plants come up and really be supportive in this way. And, and the way that you're speaking about motherwort in this way too, it just 
kind of reminds me of where we all are right now, just coming out of this last year. And, you know, there's a lot of loss and acceptance and bitterness and, you know, just so much I think has come up for so many people that, um, that the, these are all things that we need to process and to, yeah. to have that support in processing these things and letting them go. And, and, you know, we don't know when, when, or if we're going to be able to travel wide and far again, we don't know when, you know, it's more of the unknowing too, I think sometimes where we have to let go of that need to just know or need to have control over an outcome or something of that nature. Or that we think we have control over the future and that we know what that, you know, I know that in August, this is what I'll be doing. Right. You know, I mean, I think <laughs> the sobering thing of the last year was, no, maybe you don't know what's going to happen in three months or two months and not being able to make any future plans, you know, which is a situation most of us were in um, on a lot of levels. Wow, you've asked me some great questions and uh, got me excited about um, these these two herbs again. So thank you for bringing them back up into my thought processes. Oh, thank you. I thank you so much for sharing. I think that um, we've really unpacked a lot of interesting information on both of these plants. And I know I'm definitely excited to to get back in my apothecary and work with them too and start bathing with them. So I really appreciate all of these, these beautiful, um, informative things that you've shared and just, just the wisdom behind it all and your experiences. I really appreciate that, Patricia. Um, in closing today, I do have one last question to throw on you, and that is, um, what's nourishing you right now on any level? It can be spiritual, physical, emotional. Is there anything that's just calling to you currently that, that feels like it's really nourishing you? Um, well, spring, <laughs> I would spring. say. The yeah. emergence of spring. Um you know, when, when, you know, winter sets in and all the plants are gone, uh, at first I experienced that kind of as a relief, you know, it's like, because I'm so aware of all the plants and, and, you know, you know, I feel like they're talking to me, you know, so there's like this commotion going on around me all the time. Mm -hmm. And when winter comes in, there's a period of like, Oh, thank God, you know, the party's over, you know, everyone went home. I can clean up now and do something else. Um, and then there's a point in, in late winter where it's the longing for the return happens again, where you really just want to see some green things growing. And then, you know, every day now going outside, uh, take my dog, walk around. Uh, I live right on the edge of the national forest. So I have a lot of wild places right around me and um, seeing everybody wake up, you know, so there's this one uh, blood root that, that grows in this one spot and it's just one blood root and it's like I really like look for it every day and then when it finally comes up and then the bud is there and then it blooms you know I just it, it's it's like uh I'm I'm restored to myself mm -hmm. so spring right now is really being the thing that uh you know, it's always exciting. And in Appalachia, it's beautiful, you know, for those of you who never experienced spring in the Southern Appalachians, it's really uh, one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. So right now, that is the return of my people, <laughs> sort of how it feels, right? So that, yeah. that was really giving me um, uh, a lot of comfort right now. 
Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I 100% agree. Spring in Appalachia is something in and of itself that is really special and really magical. And I was actually, um, I did an episode with Gina, uh, Gina Rivers Contla. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and she was saying the same thing. She was just like, you know, it just brings so much hope. And I think that we all are in this place where, where we're really excited for this return of hope and light and life. And I was um, talking with her about how before, before I moved to North Carolina, I was on the beaches of South Carolina and I never knew there were so many colors of green until I experienced spring in Appalachia and everything, just all the different shades. And it's funny that you mentioned that about the bloodroot too, because we have trout lilies um, yeah. over here where I live near some creeks. And I actually read something the other day about how they only bloom after I think three years or something like that, that it takes them three years to, to reach maturity, to bloom. And I didn't know this until the other day. And then I saw one, there was like this kind of smattering of trout lilies down by the Creek and I could see their leaves, but there was only one that it was in bloom. And just being able to see that one in bloom and knowing what it took to get to that point <laughs> in its life just felt so, I don't know, there was something reassuring about it. There was something just really beautiful and magical about being able to witness that. Uh -huh. And so I, I absolutely agree. And I'm glad that you're, you're feeling that light and renewal and the return of all the plants and, and our people, like you said, <laughs> and we're going to go on, we're going to, you know, we made it this far, most of us. I mean, not everyone, of course, we've had a lot of losses, but um, I think that we can have some hope these days. I love that. Yeah. And, and to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I feel like that's, that's where, that's the direction we're headed in and, and that feels really good. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed talking with you. And again, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. So thank you. I look forward to um, hearing all the people, interesting people you're going to be presenting on your podcast. I'm very excited about this. Thank you, Patricia. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.